Loading Brian Sovereign 4.0. Private Agent, Mnemonic Courier. Verifying that all software is DAPS compatible. Programs ready. Loading. Anarchism kernel. Loading. Tech news feeds. Loading. Secret history libraries. Loading. Hedonism theme. Loading. Cryptographic processes. Loading. Science software. Loading. Rationality and self-knowledge systems. Loading. Unimatrix Zero. Loading. Non-killing protocol. Loading. Open source sexuality subroutines. Loading. Triple Black API. Loading. Golden Stallion.RPM. Now ready for something Jack. I mean, sorry, uh, the best science and tech news in town, the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, ready to talk about what is causing all this, baby. <laughs> oh, man, have we got a hell of a show lined up. Uh, lots to talk about. Actually, this is going to be a very special show. You'll find out in the next segment why. Uh, really excited about this. Man, so much to cover. Uh, I a lot of people really loved the last episode where I did uh, like more than half the episode was Q and A was was question and answers. People really really enjoyed that. Uh, so I will be doing not this week, but I will be doing that again uh, in the near future uh, because people. I mean, the response was just fantastic, and people kept sending in more questions. So again, like I said last week, I have hun literally hundreds of questions to get through. So I might as well do that. Uh, in fact, my, my personal, my favorite podcast, you know, here's a free plug for them. Not that they need it from me, but my free, my, my favorite podcast is uh, security now with uh, Steve Gibson and Leo Laporte. And they try to do every other week. They try to do Q and a now, I don't know if I'm going to get to that point, uh, or maybe I'll get to the point where I'm doing two episodes a week. 
I know I've teased that now and now and then, but uh, that's really coming closer to reality, to, to a reality. And uh, keep an eye on the Zog blog, and maybe I'll talk about it in a future Sovereign Tech, how you can actually help make that a reality. Uh, because just really exciting things going on with Sovereign Tech. We are, you know, I had a goal, uh, just to get into this quickly. I had a goal that I wanted for, you know, I was kind of hoping by 175, uh, to be breaking into significantly higher numbers. Well, I am really reaching, I'm starting to reach that point. And I'm very pleased with that. And so that means Sovereign Tech needs to grow along with its audience. And so, uh, you know, really, really looking forward to, you know, to doing more with Sovereign Tech, adding on for it. Uh, and thank you all so much. I know there's so many listeners that have been listening for, you know, the, the hundreds of episodes that, that have that have come out. Uh, and there are, when you count specials, it's literally been hundreds of episodes. Uh, so I, I appreciate all of you and, uh, you know, new listeners, of course, you're welcome every single week. I know they keep adding up and, uh, you know, thank you for listening in. And, uh, you know, I always love, because <laughs> I, I can look at my metrics. I always love the fact, I'll, I'll see, like sometimes if a person is using their, you know, their, or um, I'm sorry, their SoundCloud username, we're going to talk about SoundCloud in a little bit here. When they're using their SoundCloud username to listen, I can, you know, I, I don't know what you're listening to, but I can tell, I can kind of tell, you know, that you're listening to various episodes. And like when some, when I see a new username come on board, suddenly they're listening to like, they don't just listen to one or two episodes. They listen to like 30 of them inside of a week. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm honored, please. I, I'm really honored, but Wow, you're getting a lot, a lot of me in your head. <laughs> and I don't know if that's healthy. But anyway, <laughs> let's get into the random access. Like I said, we got a ton to cover uh, and some, some pretty new, some interesting new, new developments uh, going on, really. Uh, and why don't we just start off April 1st, first off, April 1st, first off, April 1st, I fucking hate that day. <laughs> if you're listening to this, this is getting recorded on April 2nd. Uh, and, and if you hadn't noticed already, I am on location, uh, by the way, I, I, April 1st was coming and I was like, holy fuck, I'm running to the Hills. I cannot handle April 1st. I hate that day. Uh, you know, nothing serious. Everything's just a bunch of, bunch of bullshit. It's really, it's April 1st is, has become, it's not just a kid thing anymore. Yeah. It was funny when you were a kid, maybe. Okay. But it has become a, it's actually become a marketing tactic, quite frankly, April 1st. Uh, it's a marketing tactic in that. I think now it gets used as companies will release or will announce kind of bullshit like products or bullshit services. And then they sort of, I think what they do is, is on social media now, they gauge how many people actually really would have wanted that product. And then they end up releasing it later. Uh, a company that I think is notorious for this and might have even started the whole gag is uh, ThinkGeek. Now, I don't ever necessarily have a problem with ThinkGeek. In fact, I, I mean, I've bought stuff from there many a time, but ThinkGeek, they do that. They, they, like one of the things they announced, uh, this, this April 1st of 2016 was like this white noise generator that makes the sound of a warp engine from the, you know, the warp engine from the Enterprise D, you know, that, that, that low hum. I love that sound. In fact, I used to go to sleep. Honestly, I used to go to sleep when I was a teenager with a fan blowing. In fact, it could be the middle of winter and I would have the fan blowing. Of course, I'd have it facing the other way. I mean, I love the cold. Believe me, I love the fucking cold. In fact, thankfully, we've got a polar vortex uh, coming through the uh, the northeast here in the coming week because that because it's been like in the 70s. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's, it's March. It needs there should be snow on the ground. And I mean that but anyway. 
I'm getting off track. So, but I would have this, you know, as much as I love the cold, I'd still have that fan blowing the other way, but I had the fan blowing while I was sleeping because I loved the, the simulation of, uh, you know, kind of falling asleep on a, on a starship, frankly, (laughs) you know, of hearing that low hum and maybe it, you know, gets into the whole science of white noise. Not that I need that to fall asleep or anything, but it was just, it was a nicety. And so think geek anyway, uh, you know, came out with a joke product that, that was supposedly going to generate this sound. And I think it had like a phone charger on it and you could set it next to your, you know, you could set it on a, on a little desk there or whatever. Um, but it's a good chance they'll probably actually come out with that product. They've done it before. Like they had the, the Tauntaun sleeping bag, the Tauntauns, you know, from the empire strikes back star Wars there. And they ended up actually selling the Tauntaun sleeping bag, which I mean, and that's funny. Like I'll, I'll give them that. That was very, very cute, quite frankly. Cause you know, of course you remember Han Solo cutting open the, uh, you know, the Tauntaun and I thought they smelled bad on the outside and, you know, tossing Luke into the Tauntaun. But Anyway, I think that's really what April 1st is turning into, uh, and it's also turning into a click generator because now, you know, news sites, we're going to talk about the news uh, cycle later on in the show, but now news sites will, you know, just come out with the most outlandish stories that they can, uh, and I just I just end up getting pissed off because, like, I, you know, I'm so... I do sovereign text, so I have to, I have to kind of keep in tune with the, the news cycle, um, and it, you know, it just, it's a fucking mess. You know, it, it's funny too, though. I'll admit it, it. The only thing that's funny about it is that people will share these stories or they will even share them days later because April Fool's Day doesn't just last, you know, through April Fool's. You know, first off, it has to go through all the time zones. So you got you have about 48 hours where it matters. But then it turns into like this whole week and even beyond because people will I've even I've seen I've seen uh, blog posts by people that like talk about, oh, aliens did this and all this shit. I mean, obviously they're already off their rocker if they're thinking, you know, that sort of thing. But, but they will, they will say, (laughs) sorry, I know there's people that think aliens are involved in what goes on here. Like, uh, uh, what's his name? Jason Calacanis, who does the, I don't know how, amazingly popular podcast, uh, this week in startups, which I I've listened to in the past, but like he actually came out and said, he thinks aliens are on the earth right now. And they're just waiting for us, for us to kind of grow up and all that unbelievable that people, you know, that, that somehow he doesn't get laughed off the stage for saying that, but well, whatever, I hold some crazy ideas too. So I, I, I shouldn't be so crass about it. Uh, but anyway, People will, you know, I've read blog posts where people will write these stories. Oh, and on this day we found this, or there was that story about the guy who came back, for, you know, 25 years into the past, uh, you know, to today, like this was a popular one. And people were reading that as if it was like real news or they would reference it in their blog posts months later and all this. And it's like, well, look at the date that it was published. It's April 1st. Uh, it, it's just, anyway, it, it's so bad. I fucking hate it. And it wastes my time. I think it wastes everybody else's time. But, you know, for all these people, it, it's just, it's all marketing. That That's what April 1st has turned into is marketing. It's not even really fun anymore. And the stories aren't even that funny. Like, it's not like The Onion where they do funny with a lot of class. You know, it, it, it's it's just shit. <laughs> so anyway, but April 1st, the reason I brought up April 1st initially is because April 1st happens to be, and this is not an April Fool's joke, but it happens to be the birthday, quote unquote, of, uh, of Apple, of Apple computers or Apple Inc. Uh, 40 years ago, uh, as of April 1st, 2016, Apple was started. 
Uh, and kudos to them for sticking around that long. They certainly, they've had their ups and downs. Of course, I think they've been on a down ever since they got rid of John Scully. Uh, John Scully was probably the best CEO the company ever had. But hey, you know, what do I know? He <laughs> he only made it, at, at, had it at its most profitable uh, up until that time. So, and, and of course, he was making it profitable with computers. Now Apple's just profitable because of iPhones. Really, that's... That's it. Uh, but anyway, if you want to hear my thoughts on Apple, of course, you know, I, um, I've talked about that many, many a time, Bro- talk, broke into it a little bit uh, briefly last week with the release of the iPhone SE, which seems to be doing very well. Uh, so, but anyway, really kudos to Apple, you know, stick around 40 years. There's certainly been times where people thought that the company would be flat out dead. Nobody would think it's, it would be one of the most, vi- you know, if you were alive back in like the mid nineties, you really if you said to somebody back then, this is going to end up being, you know, arguably the most uh, profitable, the most valuable company uh, in the history of of the market, uh, you know, people would have thought you were nuts. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, and, and especially, in fact, there's a great line by, by John C. Dvorak, real hero of mine, where he said, you know, when people talk about Bill Gates versus Steve Jobs, whose wallet would you rather have? You'd rather have Bill Gates's, right? Well, that's not necessarily true anymore. Of course, Steve Jobs, uh, you know, unfortunately passed away. But, uh, but I mean, at, at the time, I mean, Apple is really doing far better than Microsoft is. Nobody would have thought that that long ago. So it's an interesting what can happen, how many, you know, the roller coaster ride that a company can go through for 40 years. And I mean, a huge roller coaster ride, not just, oh, yeah, well, we're valuable now. We're not so valuable now, blah, blah, blah. I mean, these are like just massive, massive moves. So it's a fascinating history. History certainly to look at and, and really kudos, kudos to Apple as much as I rip on them, you, you know, good job. I mean, honestly, look, I rip on every tech company. <laughs> okay. There's everybody. I, I, I get, I get uh, accused of being anti Apple and I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm anti Silicon Valley <laughs> in, in some ways, but uh, you know, it's, I'm, I really, I just, I rip on every, I, on all of them. Google, Microsoft, you know, I don't spare anybody. So, so don't think, uh, you know, it's equal opportunity here, honestly. Uh, but anyway, I mean, how many times do I have to tell you that my favorite computer of all time to this day, even I love it more than I even love the Commodore 64, was the Mac G4 Cube. I thought this thing was fantastic. Just, I mean, pinnacle of design, everything about it was right on. And I loved what, you know, the PowerPC uh, uh, architecture, I loved all of that. Okay, so I'm not anti-Apple, <laughs> all right? I disagree with some of their moves that they've made as late. Uh, and I disagree with the narrative around the company in many ways. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> uh, so Reddit, uh, this is kind of interesting. Now, I don't, you know, I'll straight up, I don't use Reddit. I don't care for it. I think Reddit is uh, just like the cesspool. Uh, of the internet, but uh, Reddit, they have removed, they, they had put in a warrant canary uh, into their reports over the, over the past, you know, couple of two, three years. Uh, that warrant canary has been removed. I don't need to say much more about that. Just bottom line, it means that, or one would infer that the NSA, FBI, whoever has been in touch with them and has had requests for user data. Uh, does every tech company go through this? Yes, many do. Uh, and that's why they set up Warren Canaries. Apple, of course, we we're just talking about Apple. Apple, uh, they famously had their Warren Canary taken down. So this happens. Uh, and the bottom line is, is that the government is, in, you know, is, is 
playing ball or is, is, is taking advantage of, you know, any company that you put your data into out there. Uh, I mean, not, not that I collect your data in any way. I have a warrant canary on my website. There's a little sign that says the FBI has not been here. And, you know, people actually regularly check on it <laughs> to make sure that it's still there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that, that is a warrant canary. You know, these, these are handy things to have. Kudos to, you know, there's no reason that a company has to take away their warrant canary. So I, I'll admit it. I do appreciate when they do it. But Reddit doesn't mean much to me. I, I don't see it as uh, helpful. It has, I, in fact, like, I, you know, as far as some people say, well, you got to re read Reddit to stay on top of the news and all that. Uh, I like to think I'm on the absolute bleeding edge of the news and I don't use Reddit whatsoever. So no, it's not, it's not a necessary part of life. Uh, even in, you know, the, the world of tech where things change at the speed of thought. Uh, anyway, so there you go. Just to, just to put that out there, that, that, that is a, I guess, a warning, uh, of sorts. Now, uh, this is something, speaking of something that's not a warning, but something that is important to much of the subjects that we talk about on Sovereign Tech, certainly the subject we were just talking about and all, uh, but SquatConf, uh, SquatConf 2016, I just heard about this. I was actually graciously invited uh, to attend, perhaps even speak or be on a panel, whatever. Uh, I will not be able to make it. It's going to be in Berlin, April 29th to the 30th. Uh, I think this, you know, I looked at it. This is the second one that's ever been held. Uh, I think this looks fantastic. It's an anarchist tech event. I mean, definitely the kind of thing that the Golden Stallion really should be a part of. It's just, it's, it's not working out with my present plans, uh, but I'm excited about this. So if you, I know I, I have tons of European listeners. Uh, if you want to, you know, attend this, I definitely recommend doing that. It's in Berlin. You can go to squatconf.eu, as in squat conference, uh, squatconf.eu. I'll put a link in the show notes for episode 170 and, uh, and, and you can check it out again. It's the end of April. It, it really, it's one of these events that's supposed to come up spontaneously. That's why like there's so little notice and all that. And I, I really, actually, I kind of like that, <laughs> you know, cause that that keeps the people that you don't want to be involved from being able to make any, you know, kind of grand plans for being there and all that. Uh, it's really spontaneous. I enjoy those kind those kind of events. So check it out. Uh, I, I know there's good people running it. So squat conf, uh, .eu to, to check that out. Uh, now, something, in fact, you know, what I'm reading this from, like I said, I do Sovereign Tech I, with practically no notes. I like to run off of my brain. I like it to be very stream of consciousness. Uh, and I don't do a whole lot of edits. Now, all of this is to give you sort of that I, I like it to be, and, and I actually, I like this one when other podcasts do this. I, I, I mean, I, I appreciate the work that goes into very heavily produced podcasts. I mean, I really respect that. So I'm not knocking it. But what just personally what I enjoy, I enjoy the conversational uh, podcasts where if I'm walking down the street, it almost feels like the person next to me or you're not the per like that the per the person I am listening to talking on the podcast is next to me. Like, you know, we're just walking down the street. I love that kind of feeling. And so I shoot for that with this. And that's why I really don't run off of many notes. Uh, I mean, I'll have a story in front of me, uh, you know, and of course I have, when I do the random access, I have what I want to talk about. But other than that, there's no notes here. And, but something that I find really useful <laughs> as far as having notes uh, that I take in my life overall uh, is an app called Simple Note. Now I've mentioned it before on Sovereign Tech. This is this is created by the company Automatic, and that's Automatic with two T's. Uh, they this is the same company that maintains and effectively created WordPress, which 
WordPress is fucking amazing, you know, free software foundation approved. Uh, you can't get any better than that. Um, and simple note is an app that they made. They, they originally, for a long time, it's been on iOS. It's been on Android, which is where I had used it. Uh, it has a web interface as well. And it allows you to synchronize notes. Like just picture, you know, picture your very simple notepad, uh, piece of software, you know, notepad, note editor, whatever. And that's all it is. It's really, really simple, really basic. And it just kind of stores it in the cloud. Um, they had a, they had a, a, an app, I guess I'll say for OS 10 for Mac for years. And I was very jealous of that, <laughs> that, that it had it because I love using this. It's so quick, way better than Google keep. Um, I appreciate Evernote, but I liked it better than Evernote. It's just really simple and slick and it's very fast. Um, they finally released a version this past week of simple note for windows and for Linux, like where it has a, a, a full on desktop app. Uh, and also, you know, one of the things I really like about it actually is that they have, uh, you know, different themes. You can switch out the themes to where it could be a dark theme where everything's either gray or black, uh, or they have the light theme where everything is, you know, that, that eye blinding white that just annoys the fuck out of me. Uh, so I think this is pretty cool. Probably the best note-taking app uh, that, that I can think of. Again, it's very simple. I don't think it really allows for pictures to get put into it, which I don't do that anyway. Uh, but I'm just glad that, that there's a... In fact, now I'm using it for pretty much all of my notes. Uh, you know, for my notes for Sovereign Tech and, you know, and everything else. Uh, it just makes things so easy, uh, you know, to organize and to set up. And you can use hashtags to help organize it and all that. Uh, so if you if you were looking for a great app, um, I used to do a segment on the show called uh, Tool of the Week, where I would talk about a piece of hardware or software or something. Uh, well, this would be the Tool of the Week for this week. Simple Note is awesome. Uh, and it's really, really great that they finally came out with a desktop uh, version. Very excited about that. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Uh, oh, this is really nice. Actually, a guy, Joel Venezuela, he, he interviewed me for uh, an article on Cointelegraph, uh, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> so in the article was all about people that, you know, accept donations or get paid in Bitcoin for say the project that they do like podcasters, or I even brought up, you know, of course I have my own video game company, Zomi offline games. And I mean, most of my game sales for Zomi offline games were, you know, was, were Bitcoin sales were, you know, were the, my games were purchased with Bitcoin and I'm really honored by that. Uh, but I put a link in the show notes in the appendix for episode 170. You can find it and you can read the article. There's other, uh, uh, Roger Paxton with the, the lava flow podcast, uh, was, was interviewed as well. Uh, Mark edge of free talk live was interviewed as well. Uh, it, it was a really nice article, but it was great, uh, to get out there on coin telegraph. Um, so I'm again, really honored. Just wanted to mention that that was, that that was out there. If you want to read it, it's in the, uh, and I mean, I got right out there to be able to say that, you know, look, without Bitcoin, without all these things, you know, we wouldn't have, uh, independent media. We wouldn't have alternative media. We wouldn't have, uh, I mean, we wouldn't have WikiLeaks if it wasn't for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and all that. So it's a really important thing to discuss. And it's really important, I think, for people to accept cryptocurrencies, uh, in what they do. Because that allows for freedom. Well, first off, it allows for easier payments or, you know, easier transfers of value. But also it guarantees that you can exchange value for value. 
because like what happened with WikiLeaks, oh shit, suddenly, you know, MasterCard could say, oh no, you're not allowed to accept MasterCard, you know, uh, credit card payments or anything like that. That can happen. If you have cryptocurrencies, it's not really an issue. So uh, great article. I really, I'm really honored to, you know, to have been interviewed for it. And, uh, and you can check that out in the show notes. Uh, now I mentioned we were going to talk a little bit about SoundCloud and SoundCloud did something, boy, SoundCloud's been on a really rocky road. And, it, and it's important for me to talk about, I feel, because uh, Sovereign Tech is hosted largely on SoundCloud. Uh, I do plan on it being available in other mediums. I've been working on that for like over a year, uh, and that will very soon come to fruition. Um, but, you know, SoundCloud is great. It's a great goddamn service. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's just a fact. And, uh, and I've been worried because there was talk, we talked about it briefly a few weeks ago on Sovereign Tech, how SoundCloud is like, it's seemingly almost insolvent. They, like they, there are millions of dollars in the hole. It's really crazy. We've talked about the fact that Twitter might end up buying them out. I kind of hope that they would. Other companies might end up buying them out. Uh, but they, this week, maybe they're, they're hoping to turn this around now. And maybe the reason that there's like, I think it was like $70 million in the hole. It was really bad. Maybe the reason there were so many million dollars in the hole is because they were trying to broker deals with Sony, uh, you know, Universal, uh, and, and whatever other record companies out there, because now they have come out with a effectively a Spotify competitor. Um, and it's pretty good. I've checked it out. It's called SoundCloud Go. Uh, it's $9.99 a month. Or if you're a SoundCloud creator like me, you, you get it for $4.99 a month and they have a 30 day free trial and all that. But it has offline playback. Um, it has quite a few million songs on it. It might not be as, it might not have as many as say like uh, Microsoft Groove, which Microsoft Groove has the most songs, uh, in comparison to any other service. They have like 40 million songs, which most people don't realize. I'm not saying to go with that service. I'm just saying that, well, shit, they, they have 40 million songs. Uh, so SoundCloud Go is pretty cool. The, the, and it works well enough. Like I said, it's got the offline playback and all that. Uh, the interface is nice and, you know, you, you can use it on desktop and you can use it on, uh, you know, through the SoundCloud app. Um, my only problem with it, because I would love, believe me, I would love to get away from like Google Play Music All Access. But the problem is, is that Google Play Music All Access, Microsoft Groove does this too, but if you've used Groove, you'll know why that's not entirely practical. Um, Google Play Music All Access allows you to upload something like 50,000 songs of your own personal songs. Now, I have a lot of really rare albums like that you just can't buy, uh, at least not without cashing out quite a bit of money and you're going to end up with a physical copy. Uh, so I need that. Like music I love to listen to, I really need to be able to upload custom songs that I, that, you know, largely only I have, or that I've gotten from other sources that I want to put into, you know, a unified service. Uh, SoundCloud Go, you know, Google Play Music All Access offers that. SoundCloud Go does not, nor does Spotify, really. Uh, Spotify can kind of do it, but it's not really a cloud solution. I think you have to have the music on your computer. I don't know. I, I never really use Spotify. I don't care. Uh, but anyway, I wish, and there's really no good reason considering that SoundCloud's entire model up until SoundCloud Go was based around you uploading music, <laughs> you know, to or podcasts in my case, uh, to SoundCloud. So why you can't just upload songs? I don't know. Maybe that's a feature that's coming. If it ever gets to that point to where SoundCloud allows for me, uh, you know, to upload custom songs and 
added into, you know, have it mix in with the streaming library that they offer, maybe I would consider the service. Uh, right now, like I said, it's fine. And if you don't need those custom songs, if you don't need your own songs to upload and be available in the cloud or whatever, um, and you can't, as far as I know, you can't just upload songs and keep them in your you know, in your library and play them because I think there's copyright issues around that, that, yeah, the, the, the whole thing with SoundCloud is very strange how that works because you're, I mean, and it, you know, it's a service I think that actually stands a chance of taking on Spotify and some of these other, uh, you know, media streaming companies, because you're going to get like, one of the things the app allows you to do is it allows you to listen to a song and then it recommends remixes that get made on SoundCloud that are only on SoundCloud. And that's pretty unique. And I know, I mean, actually I can say the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, uh, she loves the remixes for a lot of songs way more than she loves the actual original song. I'm kind of the opposite, but I appreciate that. And so I think that there's a real audience out there for this, you know, that want to find remixes and just rock the remixes. And SoundCloud is uniquely positioned to, you know, to allow for that. Um, so anyway, that I think that's pretty slick. Uh, you know, it, it's a good app, but they've got to add they've got to add that feature in of allowing you to upload custom, you know, kind of a custom library. Uh, and and you, again, you can't really do that on your own because there are still there is this like I said there is this funny gray area with copyright on you know on SoundCloud. So I I don't know. Anyway, SoundCloud go check it out if you want. Uh, it's an interesting service to say the least. Uh, what else we got here, boy? Uh, never 10. This is important to get out there. I put a link in the show notes for this, uh, but you can go to grc.com. Of course, it's the Gibson Research uh, Center. And grc.com is run by Steve Gibson, the aforementioned show that I mentioned, uh, Security Now. He is the host of that. And he created, th- th- this is so ugly, what, what happened here. Recently, well, it wasn't just recently. It had been going on for a while where Microsoft you know, they, they really want people using Windows 10. And if you're using Windows 7 or Windows 8, you can, you can upgrade automatically to Windows 10. And what Microsoft was doing was kind of automatically downloading the Windows 10 image. And that was annoying in and of itself, okay? Because it takes up four gig, you know? And especially with a lot of computers today, they only have flash drives, you know, they have the solid state drives in them that don't have a whole ton of gigs on them. <laughs> you know, it's very easy to max out 128 or even a 256 gig hard drive. Uh, and so it would automatically download it. I mean, to say nothing of what that does for bandwidth. And that was a real pain in the ass, but you could more or less turn that off. Uh, so, but then what's happened recently in the past few weeks is now, pe- now what's happening is, and supposedly this was some kind of a bug, supposedly, is not that the Windows 10 image is just downloading, but now even if you told it, no, I don't want the update, it is downloading the Windows 10 update to your Windows 7 or Windows 8 machine. And then it's installing it automatically. And so what happens is, is it installs it. You'll wake up in the morning and suddenly you'll, you'll end up with the Windows 10 start screen saying, hey, you know, okay, let's get your Windows 10 thing set up. Now, not nothing's deleted off of your computer, of course, at least not not much. Uh, nothing, you know, really intensive anyway, or you know, you know, uh, so, something that you need. But you'll still. What's going to have to happen is, is you're still going to have to say to it, uh, "No, I don't want Windows 10." And then it has to spend like an hour to two hours reverting your computer back to your Windows 7 or Windows 8 install. I mean, this is nuts. <laughs> like I, I heard some tech commentators saying, look, this is reason to stop using Microsoft altogether. 
uh, because this is so crazy. And it is, it's a real problem. I mean, maybe it can affect some programs, certainly. I mean, fortunately, it does a good job of going back to Windows 7 or Windows 8. But look, you know, (laughs) if you're like time intensive, like I'll admit, if I woke up in the morning, Okay, let's say this happened to me. I mean, I already have machines that run Windows 10, so it's not like this is going to happen to me. But if I woke up in the morning and I had to wait two hours for my laptop to get back to where I could actually use it, I'd be fucked. Like, I cannot, that kind of time cannot happen to me. Uh, I mean, it really can't. So so that, that really sucks that that happens. But anyway... Uh, I mean, it's, it is, it's terrible, you know, and I don't blame anybody for wanting to boycott Microsoft for pulling that kind of bullshit. I mean, that is just so like beating you over the head, uh, you know, with no, you need to do this, use this new service and all that. It's just, it's crazy. Um, but Steve Gibson came up with a little piece of software and I, when I mean little, it's, I don't even think it's a megabyte. Uh, and it's called never 10. And what it does is it, it does all the work automatically for you for changing the registry to make sure, at least for now, that Windows 10 does not automatically download, and it, and by that, it does not also automatically install uh, if you're using a Windows 7 or Windows 8 machine. So this is a handy little piece of software that I definitely recommend grabbing. Uh, you can go to grc.com to get it, or there's a link, a direct link in the show notes for episode 170 of Sovereign Tech, and of course, go to zog.ninja or sovereigntech.com to find that. Uh, so I'm really glad that he made that, but oh boy. What, what a mess, but on to other news. Uh, this is something, this was kind of weird. There was a very unfortunate, uh, there was a bombing, an explosion, you know, in, in Pakistan, uh, this past week and a strange thing happened because of this. And I, you know, no need to get into the details of the explosion, uh, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate act. Anyway, you, you look at it, um, But Facebook, a lot of people, again, this happened in Pakistan, but this week, a lot of people in the U.S. and really around the world were getting notifications from Facebook saying, are you okay? You know, we know there was a bombing in your area. Are you okay? And I even saw some people like on Facebook that were living in Rhode Island and they were kind of freaking out. Wait a minute. What, what do you mean there was a bombing? What the hell's going on here? It was, it created a lot of confusion very quickly though. People of course realized, hold on, it's talking about Pakistan. It's like, I'm not in Pakistan. What the hell is this? And it wasn't, you know, when I heard about this, I was like, well, what the hell is going on here? And I, my first thought was, it's like, okay, it's people that are like behind VPNs and the VPN makes them think they're near Pakistan or something. Um, but that wasn't the case. Now, Facebook set this up uh, a, a little while back, probably about a year, maybe two ago, where, you know, if there's a disaster, it gives you a notification, uh, you know, I'm based upon your location, th- saying, you know, let your friends know that you're okay on Facebook. And, you know, I don't want to get in, in, into like the, the, the ideas or, you know, the ethics behind that kind of setup or whatever, uh, but it was apparently just a fluke. I'm baffled by that fluke, uh, but it was just a fluke. And that, that's the best I can really you know, say on it. There's, there's not a whole lot of news uh, you know, to go on here uh, on Facebook's end. Um, but this is really, you know, it's interesting how bugs can really affect and, uh, you know, such even such a quote unquote powerful system uh, as Facebook. It, you know, 
software still falls prey to the very simplest of, of, of coding problems, uh, at least if that's exactly what happened. Um, but it looks like it's really just that simple. So I don't want to spend much more time um, on that. Uh, let's get into, I've got two more stories I, I really want to get into here. Uh, this is interesting. Now, I've talked about how like the PlayStation VR uh, we love virtual reality on Sovereign Tech. I'm really excited about the technology. Um, we've talked about how the PlayStation VR might be kind of the Trojan horse. It's the thing that, because, you know, the PlayStation 4 is one of the best-selling consoles of all time. It's not the best. That that honor is held by the Nintendo Wii. Uh, but it is one of the best-selling. Uh, lots of people have them. And in fact, it's very popular. Uh, this is something I learned recently. It's very popular in other countries as well in markets that usually video gaming isn't even really a thing uh, like Croatia. The PlayStation four is huge in Croatia. Who the hell knew? <laughs> so uh, anyway, you know, for, for Sony to release a real serious virtual reality solution for only, you know, for the cheapest price out of all the different solutions out there, like Oculus Rift, which by the way, came out this week uh, as well as, you know, the, like the HTC Vive, those run, you know, 600, 700, 800, $900. The PlayStation VR only costs like 399, 400. Uh, and, but, but then you also have to buy the controllers and the camera for all that. But regardless, it's still pretty inexpensive. And also you don't have to go out and buy a $3,000 PC. Uh, because you you know you already have a, a PlayStation 4. But now the interesting thing that happened is that there was an announcement. Uh, it was a GDC this week, the Game Developer Conference, and Sony there announced that they are going to come out with a new version of the PlayStation 4 uh, coming this fall. And some people right now are nicknaming it the PS4K. Uh, you know, as in 4K being you know 4K resolution because that's one of the things it's going to allow for. Um, but now this raises a really interesting question is that is, is the PlayStation four is the, or is the PS four K is that what's going to be required for VR to work? Like it was a very, very ambiguous announcement. Like there, there wasn't a whole lot of clarity. And so I, I'm curious if you are actually going to have to buy a completely new PlayStation four to be able to use PlayStation VR. And that really changes my entire perception or really everybody's perception on the matter, if that's true. Uh, again, there's not a lot of clarity on this. Uh, even so, let's say you did have to buy a PS4K. It'll probably still be cheaper to buy an entire PlayStation VR setup, including the PS4K, than it will be to get a, to just get a headset from like, uh, you know, from Steam or HTC or, you know, from Oculus Rift. It'll probably still be cheaper to do that. So it doesn't change things necessarily, but it's also not as groundbreaking if the PlayStation VR needs, needs a new version of the PlayStation. Uh, and this also raises a lot of other, you know, there, there's a whole conversation that could be had around this because apparently Microsoft is going to be doing the same thing with the Xbox One. Not that they're releasing a virtual reality solution, but they are releasing a new version of the Xbox One. Now, most of the time, console generations, and I think we're in the eighth generation now, console generations generally last six to seven years. We are not anywhere near six to seven years for the PS4, the Xbox One, or even the Wii U. Uh, so for them to be doing major refreshes, it's not uncommon for, for new versions of consoles to come out, but for them to be doing major refreshes, uh, so early is interesting. Like that, that really changes kind of the concept of, 
you know, one of the, it's funny because one of the, one of the arguments about why consoles are better than PCs, I don't agree with that. I'm a proud member of the PC master race, but one of the arguments is that look, consoles last you forever and you get to play the latest games for years. You know, it's not like a PC where you have to keep upgrading and upgrading and there's this crazy, you know, uh, like six month even upgrade cycle if you're really serious about it. That doesn't exist. And, you know, it's a fair point to bring up, but looks like that might not be true anymore. In fact, really the lines between a console and a PC might get very blurred here because consoles are going to become part of a faster upgrade cycle, which is what everybody says is bad about PC. So it's interesting how this will shake out. Uh, but this also raises another interesting point is that really Nintendo was way ahead of the game on everybody with this because you have the Nintendo NX that's supposed to be coming out this year. Now, people thought... You know, again, it always comes down to narrative. That's always what annoys me with this shit. I don't care what companies do by and large. It's just, it's the narrative around it. Like, oh, what a great company or, oh, this and that, or, you know, or, oh, this is, this is stupid that this company is doing this. Now it's interesting with Nintendo because Nintendo's coming out with the Nintendo NX this year. That's their new, apparently, I mean, it, as far as what it actually is, is up in the air, but it's their new console. It might be a hybrid where it's portable and it connects to a TV, whatever, but whatever. That's their new console. It's going to effectively replace the Wii U as the new hotness from Nintendo. Uh, and that's interesting because the narrative around that is that, oh, see, this is Nintendo admitting that the Wii U was a failure. They're already coming out with a new console before this generation's over, but not really. I call bullshit on the whole thing because effectively the PS4K and apparently this new Xbox coming out from Microsoft, yeah, they're kind of keeping the this generation's name, but in many ways they're completely new systems. They're not just like where the PlayStation 1, you know, uh, came out with a miniature model that they, you know, the original PlayStation came out with what was called the PS1, which was this really small model, but really inside it was more or less the same thing. There weren't that drastic of improvements. That's not true. The new Xbox and the new PS4, the PS4 4K are going to be significant improvements uh, of the same model. So really they're all doing the same thing. They're all cutting off this generation, you know, like midway. Uh, so it's bullshit, that narrative that, oh, you know, wow, Nintendo's really flopping. Quite the opposite. They're doing very well. Uh, in fact, later on in this episode, I'm going to do, I want to do a review about the uh, me, about the, the uh, me Tomo. I told you I was going to check it out. It finally came out this week uh, in the U.S. for Android and iOS, and uh, I tested the shit out of it, and I'm going, I am going to do a review of that. So hold on to your hats. We'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. I've got something special for you here. Whoa, is this thing on? All right. <laughs> yeah, Stephanie, could you grab? Yeah. They, oh, thank you. All right. <laughs> Where are my pants? Jeez. <laughs> hey, live read. All right. <laughs> uh, boy, a, a couple things I want to get to. First off, Sex and Science Hour next week, baby. Woo! <laughs> it's going to be April 8th will be the premiere of the first episode of The Resurgence, The Return of Sex and Science Hour. Very, very exciting. Uh, something else I want you to check out. Wishlist dot zog dot ninja this is the amazon wish list that you can check out where you can help by donating equipment to the show it's so helpful you have no idea thank you so much to everyone that has done so uh done so already 
And I want, I want to tell you about something else, something that you're going to hear a whole lot about here in a minute, but Roberts and Roberts brokerage. If you listen, if you're serious about cold storage, why don't you try some real cold storage? Okay. By getting some gold, silver, platinum, palladium, whatever you want. RRBI.co. That's the website you want to hit, rrbi.co. And it is that is Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. They take Bitcoin. In fact, they are Bitcoin preferred. You can get your gold. You can get just diversify everything, decentralize everything, decentralize your wealth. Do it all. Head over to rrbi.co. I cannot recommend them enough. Uh, they are the absolute best, and I appreciate them sponsoring Sovereign Tech. It's a real honor. Let's get back to the show. Welcome, Agent Sovereign. Please put on your headset to enter virtual reality. I'm ready. Hit me. Now entering Unimatrix Zero. <sighs> I love this place. Secret community away from the... Hey, Agent Sovereign. Hello, who are you? I'm Pixel. I like this place you've built in VR. Encrypted, secure, and very private. No one from the corporate system to see us or tell us what to do. And if you're here, you must be friends with... (laughs) Oh yes, I've met the other girls, Brian. But I'm here now because we have another mission. We need to hack into the new system. They're about to... Tell me on the way. Let's get out of Unimatrix Zero. And don't worry. Quick hack solves everything. Hack sack. All right, listeners, of course, we're back with Sovereign Tech. Uh, got something kind of unique here. Uh, this is something I haven't, I haven't plugged one of these into a main episode before, so I'm really excited to do it this time. And I think it's really important because... I am talking to a guy. I just, I love this guy. And actually on last week's episode, I had mentioned uh, that, that I would be doing this, but I have uh, one of the, the sponsors of Sovereign Tech with me. And you're going to find out real fast that this is, this guy's one of our own. I mean, in every way you could imagine, I mean, from the tech geek to the Liberty loving to the whole thing, uh, he's got, he's got the total package in my opinion. Uh, Tim Fry, welcome to Sovereign Tech. No, thanks for having me, Brian. Those are kind words. Yeah, absolutely. And all true. So <laughs> I keep my BS meter really low on this show. <laughs> all right. Um, but uh, yeah, we've had the pleasure of meeting at a couple of events, uh, Porkfest in the past and other places. I mean, you're a guy that's, you know, you're really, really knee deep in, uh, you know, I guess you could say in the Liberty community. Uh, and you run, of course, like I said, you are a sponsor of Sovereign Tech and, and you own and operate Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, correct? That's right. Yeah. And I, I think that this is first off, of course, thank you for, you know, for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Uh, I would have had you on the show, whether you're a sponsor or not, because I just know you're a great guy. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's an amazing story. I talked to you for a little while and like, it, it's a really interesting story how you got into Robertson Roberts brokerage. And the first thing I want to say, I mean, as far as, I mean, you're, I know you're going to get into a bit of a tech angle because that's where you, you know, started out on this whole journey, I think. Um, but it's really important to bring up that, Roberts and Roberts brokerage is a Bitcoin preferred business. Like, like you, you will sell people stuff, but you want, you know, you want Bitcoin from them and and you are totally on board with Bitcoin, which I think is really exciting. Uh, and I don't, I don't really know any other, any other brokerage of, of your type that, that even like, like has that stance. 
in and of itself. Um, and I want to get into more about that, but how did, how did you, you know, where did you start off? Cause, cause now Roberts and Roberts has been around since 1977, but if I'm right, you didn't buy it till 2006. You didn't take over and like, how, how did that happen? Well, I, I started buying, uh, my precious metals from Roberts and Roberts. I mean, I tried some of the online people and I tried some of the coin shops and that sort of thing. And eventually I found Roberts and Roberts and came in and met Les Roberts, who was the founder, really cool old guy, you know, and uh, him and I started talking, I started buying all my metals there, and over the next five years, I accumulated quite a bit of metals, but I wasn't quite done, you know, I was trying to balance portfolios, kind of the Harry Brown type of thing. And oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, working towards that, and uh, just kind of doing it incrementally, you know, adding more and more to the portfolio, and seeing how, how you know, how I felt about it, what was my temperature, and uh I walked in one day in 2006 after working with him for about five years, and he announced that he was going to retire, and if he couldn't find somebody to buy the business, he would close it. And so I got to talking to him because a little bit of panic on my part because, I, like I said, I wasn't quite done, and I didn't really want to lose that resource because it was so you know, it was so good working with, with people that I knew were honest and, and uh, had my best interests and, and were reliable. So, sure. uh, so I, uh, we got to talking, and I just had to ask, you know, hey, how much are you looking to, to get out of this? He he writes it down on a piece of paper, folds it up, slides it across the desk. Uh, 10% down? Yeah, that'll do. Let me go get my checkbook. And I went out, <laughs> I went out and got my checkbook, wrote him the earnest money check. And, uh, and uh, you know, as I was pulling out of the driveway from there, I called, you know, my, my wife and asked her if it was okay if I quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my 30-year career in wireless, that, that's where I came from was the wireless business. Uh, from cellular telephone, and uh, so it was quite a departure for me. Sure, absolutely. Now, so now this is based out of Florida, right? That's right, Pensacola. Pensacola, Florida. Okay, wings of gold there. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Now, th- that's interesting. Two points I want to get into before we talk more about maybe a bit more about Robertson Roberts. Um, you were in the the wireless, the cellular industry. Uh, and I guess first off, well, I want to hear more about that. Why don't we get into that? And then I want you mentioned Harry Brown and he's of course kind of famous for doing like the, uh, permanent portfolio, right. uh, things like that. And I, I'm interested how you got to learn about Harry Brown and you know, how you got liberty minded and all that. But I mean, you know, what was, when did you first get into the wireless industry, the cellular industry? What did that look like? You said you were in it for 30 years. Like, <laughs> well, what did this look like yeah, back then? Yeah. Well, well, before there was cellular, there was the beeper business and the mobile tel- radio mobile telephone business. And that's where I got in. I came out, okay. I came out of CB and consumer hi-fi and TV repair. And I, I started this career or this job uh, fixing beepers on a bench inside of a Faraday cage um, <laughs> back in 1976. <laughs> oh man. So it, they had beepers back then? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, no. I, I mean, mean, it was anything that doctors were using often even back in yeah, the seventies. No, no. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you know, when you first, I started walking around, I had my beeper prominently displayed in, in front where people could see it and they, Oh, are you very important? Are you a doctor? Or, <laughs> and then, and then one day I'm, I'm, you know, a few years later, I'm, I walk into this convenience store and the, it's a, I stop in there about every day and pick up a soda and a candy bar or something like that. And, and, yeah. The woman always had her, her, her kid in there after school, and one day he walked up to me, and he points at my beeper, and he goes, are you a janitor? And I knew, <laughs> I knew at that point that the penetration was made, that, that beepers were going to be ubiquitous. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's like 1979, 1980, still well before cellular telephone. But, sure. But, yeah, by 1980, what was it, 84, 85, we started doing, like, prototypes of the first cellular telephone sites. I, I was in Denver at the time, so we did, like, one building mock-up uh, of, uh, of how a cell site would, would be put together. And, 
you know, I started building, you know, cellular telephone sites. Wow. So, now, how big were those first telephones? I know this is kind of a running joke. But like, yeah, really, no, like, yeah, no, they were huge. Uh, I mean, the, <laughs> the, I mean, literally, you would uh, on the older older phones, you would key the transmitter, and the, you know, if the car was at an idle, sometimes they would just stop. It would just kill the engine. <laughs> That's how big. Wow. You'd put, you'd, you'd put them in the trunk of a car and it was a fight to get your clubs in still, right? <laughs> so so uh, that's how big they were. Almost all of our transmitters at the time still ran on vacuum tubes. Oh, man. All, you know, <laughs> didn't have high-powered transistors, you know, uh, right, uh, for right. doing that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was ancient technology. So I've been through, I've seen a lot in what a freaking adventure it was, man. It was just unbelievable. <laughs> I'm glad I'm so glad I got that life. <laughs> Cuz you know, yeah. it's like you, you like with computers, you know, the, the, my first computer I I soldered it together myself. I I I bugged the National Semiconductor guy until he sent me one. And uh <laughs> this little was it? it was a National Semiconductor single chip microcomputer SCMP and they called it the Skimp. And it was Skimp. it was an okay. eight, it was an 8-bit processor. Um, it came with uh, it, it came with an RS two thirty two like a teletype a TTY interface on it. Yep, okay. and it had two hundred and fifty six eight bit bytes of memory on board. So all your programming had to fit in two hundred and fifty six bytes of memory. So there wasn't a lot you could do with it right off the bat. So, yeah, wow. So, so I so I blew a thousand dollars to buy one k of eight bit memory, <laughs> and then and then probably another couple hundred dollars to. To buy the to buy a you know a, a prototyping board and all the support hardware that I needed to wire wrap together one k of memory, so I quadrupled my memory, and and put that together. And I would steal the teletype machine from the office at night. I would throw it in the back of my Mustang, drive it home, work on the computer, and then take it back before anybody got to work in the morning. And then one, <laughs> and then one morning. Uh, I, I, I overslept. I mean, I'm up till two, three in the morning, right? Writing, I was writing a, a four function calculator for my, for my, you know, for my computer and, uh, uh, that you did everything on a teletype. I wake up late. It's like after eight o'clock. I know everybody's already at the office. I throw the, I throw the uh, teletype in the back of the Mustang. I drive to the office. There's two Denver cop cars there. I walk in, the receptionist says, I don't know what happened. It's like the alarm was set. And the only thing that's missing is the teletype machine. And so it's like, oh, I think I can clear this up. And I was brand new. I'd only, I'd only been at the job for like three months or four months. So I walk into the station manager's office with the two cops and he's like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be done here in a minute. I'll be done here in a minute. You know, you come back after the, after the cops are gone. It's like, no, 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 I don't think we need them. <laughs> so I explained to him <laughs> that I had taken the teletype machine. So he dismisses the cops and proceeds to fire me. Right. Oh man. <laughs> so, so I get fired on the spot for doing this. And then I said, well, you know, I know I'm fired and this probably is going to help. But in my defense, you know, I think it's really important that I learn this stuff because I think this, these computers and microprocessors are going to be the future. That whole room, you know, we had a room with just rack after rack of, of uh, machines for running the mobile telephone and the paging system. I said, that whole thing will fit inside of one rack and probably within one little unit of a rack uh, with these microprocessors, you know, shrinking the size of things down and controlling everything. And uh, He's like, yeah, okay, right, right. I said, no, no, really. I mean, I have a computer at home, and I was working on my computer. And he's going, you have your own computer. Yeah, I have my own computer. <laughs> I have your own computer. No, I got the books right. I'll show you. No, that's all right. You don't have to show me the books. I, and so I said, I think my, my big closer was, and someday you're going to have a computer right on your desk. You'll have a computer on your desk. And he's going, a computer on my desk. Yeah, you're crazy. Get out of here. If you ever take the machine again, you really are fired. And so I, I had to come up with my own teletype machine. But, yeah, I almost got fired for working on computers. 
Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're doing that for 30 years now. Like when, when would you say actually, I mean, while we're on the subject, when would you say that, um, I guess the more really handheld, like, like cellular options came into play. Would this be the early nineties or, yeah, or what? Yeah. 1990. I think I had my first handheld and we got stuff first. You know, I got my first, uh, you know, like the big, uh, Dynatac, uh, Motorola shoe phone, uh, right, sometimes right. called them. Yeah. It was the, the big fat one. Uh, and you'd get about 20 minutes on a battery and the thing would get smoking hot. <laughs> <Twenty> <laughs> you get 20 minutes on it. thing would just be smoking hot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you couldn't really talk that long cause it would burn your ear. You'd have to hold it away and put a, put a mitt on. <laughs> so, oh man. <laughs> so that was early telephones. Yeah. That, you know, that's amazing because really in like, I can remember my first real cell phone. It was a flip phone from Sprint or whatever. And that was, I don't think it was a Motorola. I don't remember exact what model, but, um, like that, that was handheld inside of the late nineties. So, I mean that, Oh yeah. Did, do you have any, how, how did that, how did that evolve so fast? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, it was, it was pressure to do so. Uh, extending battery life. One of the things that helped quite a bit was they could shrink down the size of the batteries because as cells, as uh, the cellular telephone systems, you know, uh, matured, there became more and more cell sites and the, 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 you know, more dense the cell sites, the lower power is needed both from the phone and from the site. So the phone could get smaller because it didn't have to produce as much power. That's why that first phone, got, uh, part of why it got so hot was because there were, the cell site was miles and miles away. Now there's a cell site, you know, three or four blocks away from me and even a, in a rural place or a small town like where I live and in the urban areas, you know, it's, it's less than a block in a lot of cases. Right. So there's, right. you know, there's cell sites everywhere. So that, that's part of what helped uh, shrink it down. But, uh, you know, and, uh, more of the components were uh, integrated together and more things were brought into the microprocessor world. The, the radios back then were still analog controlled. Uh, right. Now they're computer controlled, so they, they're very precise radios. Yeah, it wasn't until I think maybe, I, I forget when it was that they finally made it so that like every every smartphone had to be digital. They were analog up until like 2010, 2011. Right. I think you could still get those. Um, but that is that's a pretty recent uh, development to like really completely shift away even from that. But that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. That what allowed it to shrink was the fact that the infra, you know, the the tower infrastructure had grown to allow for that. Like that that's that's kind of the the opposite end of, of, of where I expected it to come from. But yeah, the microprocessors and the, and the radios from Qualcomm and all that obviously uh you know that improved in pretty short order, which is interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean there's other things too. They they uh you know I always thought you know we we thought it was going to be defying physics to shrink these phones anymore. But then you see them do things like make the uh, duplexer resonant cavities on printed circuit boards instead of big old physical cavities and things like that. Those those types of things helped quite a bit too. So it all right. it all works down to sh- just shrink the size of that footprint down. We actually got to a point where we thought phones were getting too small, <laughs> but now you know, like, <laughs> like you were talking about last week about the Dick Tracy, you know, wristwatch uh, type, yeah, yeah. type thing. I mean, that's certainly a possibility, and it, it may be where things go. But you know, it almost seemed like we were getting too small with the phones. People were complaining they were too small. Yeah, it, you know, it's fascinating because now, and 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 I appreciate you mentioned. I, I know you're a listener to the show, and I love that, <laughs> but. Uh, um, yeah, the iPhone SE, I mean, this is going backwards. You know, this is uh, where, where they are going back from. It, it's ironic because, you know, we were just talking about how large phones used to be and how hot they'd get. And we were really repeating that history. I mean, I, I know some people talk about their Galaxy Notes, 
would get, you know, sometimes insanely hot. Not, of course, not to the level you're talking about. But the point being is that in the abstract, the phone is getting significantly larger and then they're getting somewhat hotter as well. Uh, But now now we're going, you know, it's just full circle again, because now people are wanting to go with these smaller phones and all that. Uh, As far as what's I think there's a lot of price factors and other things going on there. It's not really about the the technology because yeah, I, I think it could get to the point where, you know, we're literally going around with Dick Tracy wristwatches right. as our, you know, as our smartphones. Right. Um, and, yeah. And, wow. and the SC phone make, to, makes sense to me from a worldwide perspective too, making a phone a little cheaper, a little more accessible to, you know, right. areas that aren't maybe as affluent as America. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's, that's a, good, that's a huge part of yeah. it. Yeah. So now, so it's around 2006, and and I still want to get into the Harry Brown thing, but I'm curious, you know, just to kind of like cap off with the, you know, with the the cell phone tech and all that. Uh, it's 2006 when you bought Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Uh, like, what what was, you know, were you were you looking to to get out of that work? You know, was was the industry, you know, not not feeling very fulfilling or as advancing perhaps as it was? Because it had to be exciting, like seeing all these advancements happen from, like, say, the late seventies to the nineties. Yeah, no, that, like, what was going on for you? Yeah, no, that was a lot of it. Was it wasn't it wasn't some, it was becoming more of a grind than it was yeah. a challenge. You know, be, when when we were starting out, it was very entrepreneurial. Very um, here's here's a budget, here's a goal get it done by this date or find another job oftentimes. But, but you were given, you were given, you know, you were given the circumstances and you just went and did it. You didn't have a lot of uh, people looking over your shoulder and counting pennies and, and, and doing all that. It was, you were able to do things your own way. And it, that had changed quite a bit. Um, and uh, most of the markets had been launched and that's really kind of where I, I liked to work was I like to go into places where there was no footprint and build it. Uh, it, it, it just kind of, represented the the most uh, satisfying thing was look there was nothing here and now it works you know i like that i like that uh, sense of satisfaction so that was kind of gone too and uh it became kind of more rote operational type stuff and i was never never really meant for that <laughs> i liked it i liked yeah. it exciting yeah absolutely i can imagine it like if i was if i was you uh you know and i was working you know, and i was seeing the the development in the wireless cellular space all that you know from the 70s to the 90s like I'd be excited to go to work. It's like, oh man, what are they going to come up with today that I get to deploy? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that'd be that'd be super exciting. Same thing kind of happened with me. Like, I was working, um, I was working for a tech company, and really, like at the time, they they were doing a lot of big iron, a lot of servers, and all that. And the the technology kind of plateaued, like what was coming out from Intel. And in fact, Intel even made the statement, it's like, yeah, we're never going to release a processor that does four gigahertz and all that. And I'm like, well, this is getting boring. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And, well, and, so I can, and they start to lose, and guys like us start to lose value, the, the intrinsic value to them that we used to have. So you saw them like sell a lot of my, my uh, uh, you know, folks I worked with, a lot of my fellow workers got sold essentially to like Ericsson and other companies and then contracted back. Because they didn't value their, there was no value anymore to being uh, special, you know, being yeah. being a can-do, get-done kind of guy. So, uh, yeah. so that, they just didn't value that as much as they used to. I mean, companies would kind of hang on to guys like us, and uh, and uh, that that was going away. I could tell the loyalty was shrinking. <laughs> so it was sure, yeah. Out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe you have a different perspective, but I think a lot of that does come down to the... Like, I, I kind of feel like there's a real lack of innovation. I mean, even like, you know, when you look at the the smartphone space, I mean, everything's just, 
okay, well, they, you know, I mean, yeah, it's interesting that they're making it smaller, but really they did just make it smaller. They did just maybe change. Like it's not so, uh, so rectangular this year and all this stuff, man. Um, Yeah. That's exactly what I've been telling people, customers that come in here. I point that out as a, as, as how I see this economy stalled with zero interest rate uh, policies and things like that, is you do not, don't see the kind of innovation you used to see. We get a smaller one of these or a bigger one of those or a faster this, but we don't get a new you know, there's nothing like the the smartphone has has come out. Anything like it? Um, yeah, no, it's pla- it's plateaued. It, like yeah. uh, there's the saying now, peak phone. I mean, and I think it's very true. Well, I think it's uh, it's peak technology. It's peak R and D because companies don't want to put money into R and D and 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 have the economy not support it. Yeah, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. In fact, something you know, a company I don't really appreciate is Samsung. But one thing I do love is that they will actually, they'll take a risk. Usually it fails, but they'll take a risk and they'll release some crazy ass product, uh, you know, out out of nowhere that maybe attaches to a a Samsung Galaxy, unfortunately, but they'll release something insane. Uh, Nobody really takes to it, but I'm I'm so excited just to see something that's a little bit different. But I mean, that's rare. Even for them, that's incredibly rare. I think you're absolutely right about the lack of R&D. There's a a real lack of risk capital uh, overall. Um, I think that's a fact. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that, that's that's an awesome conversation to have. <laughs> it's good to get some validation on some of my points, Tim. Yeah. I appreciate that. And you had some great ones, uh, obviously. So now I'm curious. All right. But before we get, I want to talk, I do want to talk about Robertson Roberts, but like you mentioned Harry Brown. So how did you, how did you come into, you know, being liberty minded? I don't know what, what term you want to use to describe yourself. Any of them's fine. Uh, libertarian or whatever, but like, how, how did you get to that point? I mean, was this something you've, you've long held these ideas or, or, or what? Um, it was, <laughs> I was very apolitical, um, until, uh, I mean, really the events of nine 11 were a driver, ah. a driver towards me, um, looking at, looking at ways to protect myself financially. I was more into the of things. So I was a self investor, um, since the eighties, I was a, I was an E-Trade pro, um, pilot subscriber on AOL back in the AOL. Uh, dot oh, com. Days. I was one of, I was one of the first people to use e, the E-Trade platform. So I've been very, uh, investment minded and that sort of thing. I did my own portfolio. I did my own research, um, and, and self-invested. It was, uh, it was nice to be able to do your own trades without a broker in the way and trying to talk you into some other position or constantly calling you that sort of thing. So I, I did like that aspect of it. I like the self-investing without the hassle. And I could, I could do it at night. I could set things up at night and let them roll the next day. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, so I did that for a while and, uh, you know, continued along with that, trying different things and different companies and in different strategies and, uh, you know, trying some forms of diversification. 9-11 came along, 9-11-2000, uh, 2001. And, uh, right. and, you know, nothing worked that day, nothing that I had worked that day. And so kind of looking around at things that did work and something I'd always heard about was precious metals and the diversification strategy that would involve precious metals. And so I finally started to do some, some work on that. Precious metals did very good that day. So, uh, yeah, I can, actually I do remember. And, uh, yeah, I, I recall that happening. So, so nine 11 happens and, uh, obviously a pivotal moment for a lot of people for many, many different reasons. Um, is that, is that something that, that got you very Liberty minded or I not, mean, you said yeah, you were apolitical before, but yeah, not, not by myself. I mean, I, be, I, I guess I believe that, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was a, you know, was a, was a, was 
<laughs> Ronald Reagan was a good guy, but uh, <laughs> we've all been that, there, man. <laughs> right? You know that that's about as far as I got. And uh, anyway, and that Jimmy Carter was our worst president. Now I know it was Woodrow Wilson, uh, but uh, uh, yeah. so so I guess that that kind of got me to, to looking at, at precious metals. Uh, got into that. The person that you know, Les Roberts, the founder of this company, he he loaned me a copy of the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Oh man, yeah, and, and G. Edward Griffin. That, what a what a text. Great. Yeah, that was that was my eye opener. Um, yeah, was, absolutely. That is a phenomenal book. If yeah. anybody listening has ever read that, regardless of your political persuasion, it's an amazing read. Right now, it's uh, it's like seven hundred pages or eight hundred pages or something like that. But uh, and uh, he gives you a way to read it. So oh, you just read the chapter summaries, and if there's something that interests you, you, go back and read the detail in the chapter itself. And so I started out reading it like that. So chapter one, oh, I'm going to have to read that chapter. Chapter two, I'm going to have to read that chapter. Chapter three, and eventually I just gave up and read the whole book. And it, <laughs> it it's such a fast fast reading anybody that even even has a curiosity about history or a love for history is going to love this book and uh, you know it taught me a lot uh, just about the money system and things to watch out for the book's in like its fifth edition now i mean it, right. it's, it's never going to go out of print no doubt so that was sort of my introduction to liberty if you will and just kind of the more i studied it the more i looked at things um you know i guess i rest more on the anarchist side or liberty-minded sure. voluntarist abolitionist i love that term yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's that's sort of where I've ended up. Yeah, so, all right, so you read this book, you got into precious metals and all that, and then that kind of gets you into that. Um, and then, then 2006 rolls around, and you end up, you know, buying your own <laughs> your own precious metals brokerage. Right. I mean, right. What a what a ride. <laughs> well, at, at the time too, we were we were a full brokerage firm. We did stocks and mutual funds and IRA. So I actually had to study. You know, at age uh, fifty, <laughs> I had to go and study for my Series Seven. Um, oh man. Yeah, and it you know it's I did I had no idea that it was is supposed to be as difficult as it was supposed to be. You know, but uh, right. you know it, it it's something that uh, generally you have to be in the business of uh, at least a few years and probably more like five to seven years before your firm will put you up there to take the series seven and, and, right. uh, and all that. And I, I, I had never even worked in the industry. I'd done self-investing for a long time, but Les gave me some good, good tips. He said, just remind, remember, you don't lie, cheat or steal, at least not on the test. And, <laughs> and, uh, and that's how, you know, that was, you know, I, I did pass it on the first try and, uh, you know, qualified to buy my business. I had already put down money. So I get I, it was incentive. Yeah, right, right. So, OK, well, I mean, that that's that's really kind of an incredible story. And I think some people would say like that, that you maybe you went like you went. I mean, here you are working on, you know, the latest and greatest technologies. And then you go off and you, uh, you know, you, you start running a, a precious metals company and you're like, you know, you're selling gold and, and uh, you know, platinum and silver and all that stuff. Uh, but really, like you're not like Roberts and Roberts. I don't, I mean, not that you need to plug their name or anything, but do you even know of any other precious metals dealers that, that are like that deal in Bitcoin? Are there at least one or two other ones maybe? Well, they all, well, there's more and more of them. There are a couple others. Um, I think Schiff uh, takes it. Um, he has a very low opinion of Bitcoin, but he'll accept it for, uh, for precious metals. Um, Amaji's I think still around in some form or another. Okay, um, and then there's there's a couple of others that accept Bitcoin, but I I prefer to use preferred because I really do prefer to be paid that way. It's the simplest way for me to get paid. It, it's instantaneous. It's immutable. Um, it's it's I, I don't have to have any trust in it. I know the Bitcoin are in my BitPay account. It's going to get converted to U.S. dollars. I'm going to be able to right. buy back from my wholesalers. I I don't have the uh, the the luxury of hanging on to it. Um, 
but uh, because I, my wholesalers don't take it. So, you know, our business works on the principle that I'm going to sell you my inventory and then I'm going to buy that inventory back immediately. And so far, nobody takes right. Bitcoin for on a wholesale level. Um, as soon as that happens, then I won't have to convert anymore. But uh, yeah. it is the easiest way. I don't have to go to the bank. There's no there's no security risk to me from, uh, you know, if I take cash here in the office, there's a chance I could get held up going to the bank uh, or, you know, uh, any number of things. So. Yeah, absolutely. So now, how did you like? How did you first hear about Bitcoin? And then, uh, well, I guess you can answer that. Then I'll ask another question on it. You know, just uh, in the general tech space, I heard about it. Uh, Megan, uh, Megan Lords, MK Lords, uh, she started looking a little bit more into it, and you know, was kind of uh, getting sort of uh, um, more and more interested in it. And then one sure. one day, she walked into my office and said, "Hey, there's a guy in Pensacola feeding homeless people with Bitcoin." And I, I glanced over at my safe full of silver, and I said, "Well, I never fed no homeless person with my silver, so <laughs> tell me All right, more." This is uh, Jason King's uh, Sean's Outpost, yeah, right? So it's like, "Well, tell me more." So uh, yeah, yeah. So we started looking into that, and that just that just blew my mind that somebody could throw you a dollar from somewhere in Europe, Eastern Europe, and you could feed a homeless guy in Pensacola with it. It was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it was like that. that's when I really understood kind of the, the potential and the power of it and really made me take a second look. Because any other time Bitcoin came up in conversation, it was shitcoin. It, uh, <laughs> it was a Ponzi scheme. It was a pump and dump. It was you know, a lot of things, but it wasn't money. I can't touch it. I don't own it. You know, all of that came up. And then I took a second look at Bitcoin and said, you know, this is really just a fascinating uh, idea. So, yeah, well, I, and I imagine your tech background helped you realize, you know, what, what that technology could do. Uh, because you're right. I think a lot of people, in, especially in like liberty circles and all that, uh, at the time, what, I mean, what time frame was this for you, Tim? Was this like 2011, 2012? 2011, late 2011. By 2012, I, I bought my first Bitcoin um, at, at uh, Porkfest, as a matter of fact, in 2012. I bought oh, okay, right on. Six bucks a piece. I actually bought, I bought Casatius coins and brought them back and gave a few to some of my high dollar investors. I just gave them a, 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 a you know a, a Casatius coin, which is the physical Bitcoin. Which is the right? physical Bitcoin. Just gave it to them. I don't think they probably don't even know what it is and don't even know what it's worth today. Uh, <laughs> they have four hundred dollars sitting, sitting in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> still in the ashtray. Yeah, right. So yeah, so but I mean, you know, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of liberty economists, I guess you could say, or whatever, they were really negative on on Bitcoin at the time. Yep. Uh, and so I find it interesting that the first, the really like the first people, especially in those circles, maybe more the the economic circles, like um, uh, like maybe Jeffrey Tucker and others, they were the first ones to latch on. But these are also guys like yourself that have some degree of a tech background, or at least they're very good yeah. at it, you, yeah. you know, at tech. Um, it's it's a pity it, it, it didn't get recognized a little bit sooner and a lot more supported a little bit sooner. But regardless, I'm I'm glad you're accepting it. Uh, and and like you've already laid out the reasons as far as like why it just works so damned well, uh, you know, for your business, you know, at Roberts and Roberts. Right. Um, and, and I, I just, I, I think that's, that's fantastic. Uh, I guess I'm curious and, and if you, you know, if for whatever reason you don't want to answer this, you don't have to, but I'm curious, like, are you ever interested in other cryptocurrencies accepting those or are you just looking to stick with Bitcoin right now? No, I'm definitely interested in other, in other cryptocurrencies. I've, I've looked at Ethereum. I've looked at NXT, NXT. Yep. NXT. Uh, yep. Um, you know, but I just, 
uh, I just don't have the bandwidth, man. There's so many things I want to do uh, yeah. that I haven't. I haven't really taken time. I need. I need like a cryptocurrency consultant. I need a guy like me for crypto. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I need somebody that's going to kind of guide me through the process and tell me what it is that is going to suit me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, which, absolutely. Which is how well, I feel like we'll we, talk later about which, that. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Willing to pay a commission. Yeah, yeah there we go. Right. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's good. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, at the very least, you know, that you're open to it because this is a, an ever-evolving space. And of course, with your background, you're used to things being ever-evolving and, and evolving fast, really. Like we were talking about how quickly, you know, really uh, phone cell phones changed in the 90s. I mean, they went from, you know, bricks to, to buttons pretty much in no time. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. So now Roberts and Roberts, I mean, so, you know, you're really, obviously you're an incredibly principled guy. You're running your business on a very principled position, I think. Uh, and you know, and you're, you're Bitcoin preferred, which, uh, which I think is, I mean, that, that's, that's fantastic. And I do, I, I do think like if I were to, you know, obviously if anybody asked me, and this is before, like I said, before you're even a sponsor, uh, you know, full, full disclosure on this show, uh, like I would definitely say, yeah, go hit Roberts and Roberts. Um, I mean, you know, if you were to give a pitch to, uh, you know, to say the average listener of any show, it doesn't just have to be a tech show, but maybe, maybe if it was more tech related, like why, why would you recommend people get into precious metals? Uh, I mean, especially when, you know, you're, you're willing, you're, or people are able to buy it with Bitcoin. It's like, why would I want precious metals as compared to, uh, just holding on to my Bitcoin? Well, I think it's the same reason I got into it in the first place was, was diversification. Sure. You know, just, just have, have your money in different, different, uh, areas. Uh, and this is an area that's, you know, th that is traditionally done well, not just traditionally, I mean, historically, uh, through, through thousands of years has always been money has always been accepted as a as a form of payment as a currency so um, yeah, it makes a great hedge, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's nowhere near as risky as any of the cryptocurrencies. Certainly, I mean, Bitcoin is obviously doing pretty well for itself, but in a grand scheme, Bitcoin is still very, very new, and it is yeah. it does fluctuate pretty good all the same. Well, I, you know, just to that word hedge, you know, hedge is an inanimate object. Um, sure, I, you know, this yeah. this this stuff moves around, and it does provide opportunities. Uh, you know, you've got an opportunity now to buy silver at 80 to one compared to gold. You can buy 80 ounces of silver. You can buy one ounce of gold. We haven't seen this for a number of years. And the last time we saw it, it, it rolled from 88 to one down to 25 to one. And now it's back Oof. 80 to one. So I can buy 80 ounces of silver today and then maybe later or one ounce of gold. And then later I can take that 80 ounces of silver and buy maybe three or four ounces of gold. Right. You can do you know, some by, arbitrage. By, by trading it in. So it's, you know, it's, it is a it's still fluid. It's, it's not just, you know, I'm going to put it over here and just forget that I have it. It still needs to be, you know, still needs to be tended and watched and, 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 and looked at for further opportunity. Yeah. You can make plays with so, it. That's a great point to yeah. bring up because I don't think enough people really mention that, that that's yeah. possible. Yeah. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people think about it as just dead money. <laughs> it's, right, right, right. Yeah. But it's not, <laughs> it's not, it yeah. moves around, it moves around and it provides opportunities within itself, just within, within the precious metals business. So buying silver now for gold later. And then later on you have that same opportunity, gold back to silver. It can be an active asset. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, and, and actually I think the diversification thing is so important. In fact, I love, you mentioned, uh, Harry Brown earlier, you know, about the, he has what's called the permanent portfolio, which the idea is, is that you kind of, you quarter off your portfolio. You have like maybe four, I mean, it doesn't have to be four, but you have different things that you invest your money in that way. When one starts to sink, the other one can kind of go, goes up, you know, you like you're, 
you know, you're, you're making safe bets, but even beyond that, like you said, you, there is fluidity, there is, there is play action you can do, right. uh, you know, by investing in these metals and all that, but there's just, there's a lot of options and that's the beauty of it is, is that there's just, there's tons of options. Uh, so yeah, I think those, I think that's all good answers is the fact that, that there is, you know, you can, this is an investment, it's not dead money, uh, and it diversifies. So now you, gold, silver, platinum, like what, what other precious metals do you offer? And I might have a couple questions on that if you have a little more time. Yeah, we do platinum and palladium too. I'm, uh, I've never, um, never been big on those because the, the, they're, they're less predictable. They don't seem to follow like monetary policy. I can watch monetary policy and I can pretty much figure out what gold and silver are going to do. Uh, plat- right. platinum and palladium follow, you know, uh, I, I don't know what they follow. I mean, if I understood it, I, I, you know, I could probably make a lot of money off of it, but I don't really completely understand how platinum and palladium work. Um, there's been a lot of ups and downs in those. They're, they're probably more volatile even than gold and silver. Well, that's interesting. Now, yeah, so, but now like platinum and palladium, like they generally, historically, and correct me if I'm wrong, like they're, they're usually more valuable than gold, right? Or they, well, you know, pl- they fetch a higher price. Yeah, platinum, yeah, platinum, uh, you know, is generally is higher than gold. So, so a lot of people think it's, it's a, it's a good sale right now at under a thousand dollars to buy platinum. Um, and nah. then palladiums run anywhere from half to a third of that. And it's a little bit higher than that right now. So I, you know, that's where the whole thing doesn't make any sense. They've never been metal. <laughs> they've never been metals of money. Uh, they only exist in limited parts of the world. There's only kind of three main places in the world in South Africa, uh, Northern Russia and Canada, uh, where there's any amount of platinum and uh, palladium, and the you know most of the platinum in Canada was was one mine and it's flooded, so there, you know it's limited supply. Yet the the price seems to keep shrinking on it. Um, I, I you know it's a lot to do with industrial demand. A lot of industrial demand is driven by the automobile, the conventional automobile industry, which might be a part of the reason why we're seeing a sagging in the pricing. Uh, the aerospace yeah. industry uses a lot of it for things like thermocouples and and uh, that sort of thing because it's a very a noble metal. It doesn't mix well with other things, even its extreme heats, uh, chemicals right. and glass factories and things like that use it a lot. But, uh, you know, it just isn't, it isn't performing well right now. And I don't, I don't totally understand the, the moves. Where sure. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a metal that like I, or at least as far as an investment or anything along those lines that I never totally understood. Like, like, yeah, why, why is it doing what it's doing? Why is it even worth what it's worth? Uh, it is uh, it is an interesting point. Okay, so you have those four. Is it just those four, gold, silver, platinum, and palladium? Yeah, I never got into the copper thing. When you start buying the copper one-ounce pieces, they get up in the you know the 2 and $3 range. And if you want an ounce of copper, collect 14 pennies. Uh, 14, right. 1982 <laughs> and prior pennies is, is an ounce of copper, and it only costs you 14 cents. So the idea of paying 3, three bucks for one. Um, you know, there's nice art on a lot of them and things like that. But I just from an investment standpoint, they don't make a good uh, good you know, investment. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So, okay. Yeah. So, so those four, well, that's, I mean, that, that's a, you know, that's a fair enough range. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't think most people even realize there's much beyond, actually most people, I don't think realize there's much beyond silver and gold, <laughs> uh, but you know, it does, it is out there. Right. Right. Yeah. We could go into some of the more esoteric metals too, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and then, well, you know, actually, you know, speaking of esoteric, real quick, uh, do you do you, at Roberts and Roberts? Do you deal at all with um, because you have two different, you have two different kind of valuations for metals, right? Like you have you have the just kind of the I, I forget the term for it. You have the raw valuation of okay, this is gold, but then you also have like antique coins and things of that nature where they have more of a historical value. 
Yeah, the, uh, they call it numismatic. Numismatic. Yeah, Thank numismatic. You. Well, we do deal somewhat in some of the old gold and old silver coins. Uh, it's an area that we don't recommend most people just start out in. Uh, it's it's a very good hobby, and it's it's a it's you know it's a good interest, and it's uh, it's something that if you pay a lot of attention and you know what's going on and you want to follow it real closely, then you can probably make some money at it. But it's not good for the typical investor wants to buy their gold and silver, kind of watch the price of gold and silver, and and use that to decide where you know what trades to make. With this market, you've got to know uh, what the kind of the demand and supply of coins is, and you've got to watch it a lot more carefully. Uh, and and the numismatics have lost a lot of value in the past few years because I, I, my opinion is that you know uh, is that a lot of uh, kids aren't taking it up today, and a lot of older collectors are dying off quite literally. So we have a glut of, uh, of like a lot of mid-grade coins and co- more common dates and that sort of thing that are out there. So we've seen kind of a lowering of, uh, of pricing all the way around and demand. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of curious about that because, you know, like uh, you have, a, I don't know, a Roman coin of some kind or you have maybe you have some old Florins, you mm-hmm. know, uh, from what, like the 12th century or whatever. Right. And, you know, like how, do, how does that exactly go up in, you know, because let's say it's just a, I don't know, However much gold it is, however much of an ounce of gold, or, you know that that a florin ends up being, uh, if that. And like, is there just this point where, well, you know, people are really interested in the Florentine Renaissance right now, so it's worth, uh, you know, two thousand dollars instead of just its weight in gold. Like, how how does that? Do you have any answer on like how that exactly works? It's fine if you don't know. I, I'm just curious. It's it's supply, demand, and success. Most of the most of the market for those types of antiquities, those are really more antiquities than they are just numismatics. Okay, uh, gotcha. So when you get into anti- antiquities of like old Roman coins and that sort of thing, it's a lot of auction. Uh, it's the, whatever the success of the last auction was. So that'll drive it. You, you, you can almost see them cycle around these little auctions um, in, in the pricing on the antiquities. With the numismatics, it's, uh, it's, it's just supply and demand, and the supply is high and demand is not. Got so it. It's, uh, it may be, you know, the, the big auction galleries are saying, well, this is a great opportunity for you to jump into the market. But what I see is a lot of people bringing me coins that don't want them anymore. They, they, you know, their relative died and, you know, they inherited them and they just want the money. Or they, yeah. you know, and, and so we don't see people taking up coin collecting on a regular basis anymore. Yeah, so that, well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that might play into really like kind of the lack of interest in history. I think that that seems to be kind of. Uh, I, I want to say plaguing the world, but I mean, I wouldn't want to be down on somebody just because they're not interested in history. Well, when, <laughs> when, when, well, when history has been reduced to uh, a date, an event, and a person, uh, and that's all it is, that's all you're taught, then it does get boring really quick. When you learn, that's a great point. When you learn all of this culture and society and social pressures around what did made that history happen, then it becomes very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, you got to make history come alive. And, and well, and the way they teach history now is it's a great man theory of, a, of the the right date and this event, and so that's all kids are getting today in in, uh, in school. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's absolutely true, uh, and it's really unfortunate that it that it goes down that way. In fact, on Sovereign Tech, one of the 
some of my highest uh, uh, played or downloaded episodes are ones where I actually get into history. So people are kind of hungry for it. They just want to hear it in an intriguing way. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm that interesting. I'm just saying that, that there is a hunger for that. It's just that nobody really delivers it, uh, you know, sadly. So, yes, definitely. Uh, but yeah, Tim. So, you know, I, I don't want to take much more of your time, but like, I, I absolutely love what you're doing at Roberts and Roberts brokerage. I, uh, I love the fact that you are Bitcoin preferred. I think that's really important. I love the fact that you're Liberty minded. Uh, that's, that's even more important. And that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's phenomenal business that you have going on there. Um, so where, now, rrbi.co, is that the website? Yeah, rrbi.co, there's no M. Uh, no, yeah, right. Dot .co, that's someone else, uh, and they want a lot for that site. <laughs> and then uh, we Yeah, also, I mean, a four-letter yeah. site, how'd you get that? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, if I wanted, I could have bought it for like 1500 bucks when I first started out. Now they want like $12,000 for it or something. But, oh man! Uh, yeah, for, for <laughs> but we're also uh, we're also on Twitter at Full Meta Liberty. Full Meta. Full Meta Liberty or Metal Liberty, just not it's yeah. not two L's. Right, right, right. Gotcha. And, I and like we, that, we do have a Twitter bot that provides the the gold and silver prices and Bitcoin prices uh, twice a day in the morning and in the afternoon, and then it will also uh, tweet if there is a uh, change in the prices of a, of a certain percentage. That'll also trigger it. And then anytime you want a quote, you can ask for a quote at Full Metal Liberty, and it will give you a price quote. Well, see, you know, I like that too. Uh, I, I I like Twitter. I think it's the the least of all evils as far as social media goes. Yes, uh, and 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 you're making it like you're really making it useful. So so yeah, I definitely recommend Sovereign Tech listeners uh, go follow Full Metal Liberty. You're actually getting something really useful out of that. Uh, that's that's a pretty cool. And I like that you set up a bot and everything. Did you do that all yourself? No, I I use Derek Slopey. <laughs> Good call, uh, Derek Slopey. There's a guy I got to have on this show again too. That's he, right, absolutely. He, yeah, what a gem! You want to talk about a tech geek? You know that that's full on liberty and everything. He is he is the real deal as well. Uh, so <laughs> I'm glad there's there's a few of us around. Uh, fantastic. So uh, Tim, is there anything else you wanted to get out there? Is I mean, well, I'll let you get back to tech. But uh, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I love your show. Um, it it's such a uh, a plethora, such a unique variety of things. And uh, so I really enjoy it. Yeah, I appreciate that, Tim. And, and like I said, of course, I appreciate you being on board with Sovereign Tech as a sponsor now. Uh, and I'm just glad you're out there. You know, just Honored to, to be here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, great conversation, Tim. Uh, and and every, you know, all Sovereign Tech listeners, please, rrbi.co, follow them on Twitter. Full, what is it again, Tim? Full Meta? Full, full Meta Liberty. Full Meta Liberty. I'll put all that in the show notes uh, so people can find it. Uh, just just very exciting what's being done with Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. And even if you're a tech geek, you have every reason, just like Tim, to get interested in precious metals. I think it's really awesome. So anyway, Tim, thank you again. Uh, and we'll get back to the rest of Sovereign Tech here. All right. Thanks, Brian. Are you sick of government lackeys who say you didn't build that? Are you tired of elitists who think you need a government permission slip for everything? Everything you do is an A to B conversation and the government should see their way out of it. Create true free markets by adopting the BIPCOT No Government License. The BIPCOT NoGov license allows user modification of any product, service, or software except by governments or government agents. Go to BIPCOT.org. That's Bravo, India, Papa, Charlie, Oscar, Tango.org. Did you get all the data? I got all of it. It's finished once we get this uploaded. That's if we can get away from those blockchain drones in time. Don't worry, I've got it covered. 
For first choice, where I cover stories that get sent in to me uh, through the various channels available. Of course, you can go to zog.ninja, and you can actually you can type in now. Uh, you can type in contact.zog.ninja, and that will bring you to all of the ways to get in touch with the show. Telegram, uh, email, of course. Uh, there's even a form there that you can fill out if you want to stay anonymous. That's the one most people use, uh, and I really I don't need to know your name. <laughs> And of course, there's bit message. I mean, there's just there's tons of ways to get in touch with the show. Um, I've also this week I set up if you go to irc.zog.ninja, I've now set up an official sovereign tech slash everything else I do IRC channel. Uh, it's gotten a lot of activity, a lot of people using it. I'm really, I really, really appreciate that that you do. I am on there all the time. You can find me under Lord Sovereign. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I like I said, I've been doing a ton of work on the website, got a major refresh uh, coming. Hopefully, I'd hoped it'd be done this week, but it, it wasn't done this week. So maybe it'll be done uh, next week. But irc.zog.ninja if you want to check uh, that out. Now, be, you know, with the interview with Tim, which I, that was an awesome interview. Uh, I hope everybody else enjoyed it. I love that. I mean, anytime you get to talk some good old fashioned tech like that, and then also talk about very practical things you can do to actually get some more freedom in your life, as in, you know, buying precious metals and all of that while using Bitcoin, particularly, uh, fucking right. <laughs> so I'd love to have Tim on again. In fact, I talked to him a little bit off air uh, at one point and said, you know, we need to let's talk about like the history of computing, because my history of computing doesn't go much further back. Uh, you know, personally, it doesn't go back further than, say, like the Atari 8-bit computers or the Commodore 64. Uh, but, you know, I have knowledge, like, to the, back towards the Altair computer. But once you get past that, I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I can't really speak from it personally. So I'd love to have guys on, on the show that, like, have a real personal, had a real personal interaction, personal experience with that whole era. It's so fucking exciting. Uh, so anyway, um, because of that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing a, a question and answer uh, or, you know, questions, important messages segment of the show this week. And so I have a couple things I want to get into that I want to talk about that were covered that I was asked about for first choice. One of them is there's a story about Instagram and I'm going to get into that. And then I do want to give you a review about Tomo. And then I, you know, during uh, the climax, we have something else uh, to cover. So the Instagram story, and I'm, I'm going to read right here from, uh, from Recode. Uh, l- let's just break right into it. A bunch, or l- let's see, the The headline is Instagram influencers are suddenly freaking out over the looming algorithm change. Uh, A bunch of Instagram users are absolutely losing it over the company's plan to roll out a ranking algorithm for its photo and video feed. Instagram announced a few weeks ago that it was working on a feed algorithm, the same technology that Facebook uses to order the posts you see within uh, newsfeed. A few users got angry. Now, Stallion breaking in, this means, you know, on Facebook, you don't actually see every single post by all of your friends and all the, the pages that you follow. Uh, it, you know, Facebook shakes that up. And in fact, really, they've used it to do behavioral experiments upon human beings as well. Always keep that in mind. They did behavioral experiments on three quarter million, like 750,000 users of Facebook to try and depress or make them happy. I mean, it's really horrendous what they did. Reason enough to never use that company. Um, But I get it. People use it. 
Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so now Instagram is apparently going to be doing this as well to where they are going to be, you know, uh, they're, they're going to be running an algorithm that doesn't show you every single picture. Uh, let's read more of the story. Then I want to talk more about it. Uh, a few users got angry. One group started a change.org petition pleading with Instagram to keep the reverse chronological order it currently has. But for the most part, the news seemed to be received uh, and then quietly tucked away or temporarily forgotten. But on Monday, and this is this past Monday, uh, of we're in the end of March, beginning of April 2016, uh, panic ensued. Instagram influencers, under the impression that the algorithm is going into effect this week, it's not, uh, are losing their minds at the idea that some of their users won't see their posts. As a result, they are asking their followers to quote-unquote turn on notifications, which is to say asking their followers to sign up to receive an alert every time the influencer posts a photo or video to, uh, to the service. Um, and anyway, some, some, uh, let's see, some users aren't loving the instructions. So they are posting memes, mocking people, asking for notifications. Uh, so I'll, I'll just finish up the story. Uh, here's Instagram's take on all of this quote. This is not being implemented tomorrow. End quote. A spokesperson wrote in the statement provided to recode quote. We still have weeks or even months of testing to go. Currently the test groups are very small. When we roll it out broadly, we will definitely let the community know. End quote. Clearly, Instagram could have done a better job explaining the timing of the rollout. Then again, social media trends have a way of catching fire regardless. Uh, we don't know how this algorithm will work. We don't know if influencers will see a massive drop in reach. They obviously think they will, and it's not sitting well. That fear makes, uh, makes sense when you consider that many social media influencers get paid by brands to promote their products. If they don't reach big, big audiences, they lose their value. And that's the end of the story. Now, that the last sentence in that is actually really the key here. Um, let's talk a little bit about Instagram first. And I, well, no, first let's talk about the, the algorithm. Like I said, Facebook already does this. Twitter has already announced that they're going to be doing this, but at least with Twitter, it will be an option as in, or at least supposedly it'll be an option to where you can turn, you can keep to where you are seeing the reverse chronological fire hose uh, feed as it were. And you can see everything that you're following. Okay. Uh, or you can switch to an algorithm, much like what's being described here for Instagram and has already been long implemented in Facebook. Uh, but let's talk about Instagram a little bit. Okay. Now, Instagram has been implementing a lot of good features as late. Instagram has put in the notifications, which, you know, okay. <laughs> Before I talk about the notifications, I guess, I guess I should say, I hate Facebook. I hate the company. All right. I love Instagram and I've written about this. If you go to darkandroid.info and other places, I've, I've written about this off and on. I love Instagram as a concept, as in it's just a stream of pictures, because like that was the most exciting thing for me when I first got on the when I stopped, you know, accessing BBS's bulletin board systems or even when I was accessing bulletin board systems, when I started getting on a prodigy and the Internet in general, the best thing about it was pictures of people <laughs> like that was so exciting to see pictures. And so Instagram kind of, you know, it appeals to my nostalgia. I mean, you know, the filters alone in Instagram really appeal to that nostalgia, uh, in, in, you know, making it look like it's a shot from the seventies or the eighties or something, you know, not that I was born in the seventies, uh, but I was born in 81. But anyway, Instagram 
in the abstract, I love. I don't like that Facebook owns it, uh, but whatever. You know, I, I'm putting that out there. That's how it is. I use Instagram. My username is B Sovereign. If you want to find me on there, it's at the top of ZOG.ninja as well. But anyway, um, I, you know, with with that in mind, like they, they turned on, they, they've put in some features. Like they're they're going to be doing two factor authentication, which I think is cool. Uh, they have, they did the, um, where the turn on notifications, which I thought that was really great because then, you know what, honestly, I don't have to like, I don't even have to look at the app. I can just look at it when something gets sent, but there's an interesting point that is relevant to the story, uh, about the turn on notifications. It's kind of an issue. And that is the, the notifications when it's a notification, like when it's a notification that, that someone liked your photo, that is a separate notification. When it's a notification for, and it shows up in your little, I guess, you know, your action bar or task bar on your, on your phone. Um, when it's a notification for someone posted, someone that you have notifications turned on for posted a photo of themselves or whatever, it bundles up. It bundles up in such a way that, and I don't know if Instagram is ever going to fix this, but it bundles up in such a way that like, say you're following, I don't know, Jerry Ryan, Jamie Chung, and... Uh, Veronica Black, whatever. Say you're following those three people. Whoever was the last one to post, that's the one that it'll tell you posted a photo, even though on the notification, there'll be a little number. Like it'll say number three next to that notification, meaning that two other people, you know, say besides Jerry Ryan or whoever posted a photo, but you don't know who that was. Like the notification system that they set up kind of sucks. And so you end up having, it's like, okay, well, I know at least three other people posted, so I'm going to have to flip through my feed to find that person. But here's kind of the problem is that there's a potential that the algorithm that people are complaining about is going to perhaps hide that photo from you. I mean, there's no guarantee that the algorithm is going to show, you know, you the photos of people that you turn notifications on for. It should, that makes sense, but there's no guarantee of that. Okay, so, so there's an issue right there is that like, because it was so annoying. I was wondering what the hell happened because this past Monday I was on Instagram and like every single person I was following had this photo where it showed a little arrow pointing up at the, you know, kind of the, the, the three dots that means, you know, take an action like edit or do whatever, um, or share. It was pointing up to that and says, turn on notifications for this account. And it's like, why the fuck is everybody suddenly doing this? Like every single picture was, was somebody with that little arrow telling people to turn on post notifications. So the problem there though, is that doing that alone might not guarantee that, that you're going to see that person's posts. Uh, <laughs> and this is, this is the part that really gets me is the outrage. Okay. Now it'd be one thing to be outraged at, Hey, I don't like that you, that you're, you know, you're running an algorithm. I think algorithms are, you know, a subtle form of, you know, have the potential to be behavioral control, much like what Facebook has literally done. You know, the, they use algorithms for behavioral experiments. Like it'd be one thing to be, to be outraged at the concept of like, you know, algorithms that control what you see in and of itself. I would be totally on board with that, but that's not what these people were mad about. That's not what everybody's outraged about. That's not why everybody wanted you to turn on post notifications. I mean, when, when post notifications came out, I already turned it on for all the people that I want to see anyway. And most of them honestly aren't celebrities or as a recode called them Instagram influencers. It was generally people that, you know, are friends or people I just, you know, that I, I love and appreciate. 
So, so it didn't, you know, it didn't really matter to me. And I, I sure as hell, I was definitely in the camp of like, okay, if you're telling me to turn on post notifications, uh, I, I'm going to, in fact, I unfollowed a ton of people that did that uh, because it, it really brought to light, like what was, what, what the reality was, was here of why a lot of people are using Instagram. And I want to talk about that. I'll, I'll save my Mitomo review for the climax. We'll do that there. We're, we'll just, we're, we're shaking things up. So now there's certainly like big time celebrities like The Rock or like I mentioned, you know, Jerry Ryan or some of these others who they definitely use Instagram. You know, it's just I mean, they they use it for fun to get a following and, you know, and to feel special and blah, blah, blah. And maybe to promote their, you know, their new movie or something like that. Okay, I get that. There's nothing, you know, I I use Instagram to promote the show (laughs) at times. Not always, but but at times I do that. Uh, Totally fine. Okay. But what there's a lot of people out there that what they do is they actually like there's a lot of women on and and I'm not knocking women. I'm not saying you're doing anything unethical here. okay? but there's a lot of women on there who will like they share like fitness models and stuff like that. And even there's guys, honestly, too. There's guys that are fitness models. that do They do the same bullshit. So I'm not just saying women, just women are are the more popular of of the bunch uh, on Instagram. And they will like, they show pictures of themselves wearing practically nothing. Of course, you can't show nudity on Instagram, which is ridiculous. You should be able to, uh, but, uh, but they don't allow for it. So anyway, they get as close as they can to that. Sometimes even just putting little, like, you know, doing picture edits with pasties of some kind. Uh, and what they'll do is, is they'll do that. You know, they'll share those pictures. And then like every two, three pictures, they'll have a picture of say the woman or guy, in wearing practically nothing, doing some kind of big show off, and they'll be holding a product like a, some kind of tea or a, a protein shake or, uh, you know, with a specific brand or a toothpaste even or some kind of shit like that. Right. And they will, you know, and they'll, they'll have a link for how to get your hands on that and all that stuff. And I mean, they're, they're effectively doing kind of a native advertising Now, what's annoying to me, there's nothing, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, okay? In some ways, I've even done that. But what's what's ridiculous about this is how dare you get fucking outraged because people aren't going to see your fucking advertisements. For some, I mean, you got to understand, yes, you know, Instagram allows for advertisements now, and they've increased the amount of advertisements that you can see, but these are advertisements by people that by companies, whatever, that have paid Instagram directly to show our advertisement, right? Now, if suddenly, you know, uh, this new algorithm kept people from seeing those advertisements, but you are paying Instagram to show off your fucking advertisements, oh, that's dead wrong on Instagram's part. That's ridiculous. But these people that are using a completely free service like Instagram is free. I mean, yeah, you have to give up data, so it's not exactly free, but free is in no monetary cost using the zero cost service. And you're going to complain about anything that that company does. You have no right. Where do you come off complaining to, you know, being outraged at Instagram for doing this? You're not paying Instagram shit. Instagram's not making much of anything off of you. Instagram doesn't need you to be a big time app. It doesn't. Especially now that it's owned by Facebook. Fuck. It doesn't need your money. (laughs) I mean, and you're not even giving it money. I just, I thought this was so outrageous that these people were outraged at the fact that Instagram, that's the same thing with YouTube. YouTube, 
free service or zero, zero dollars, okay, to, to use YouTube by and large. And people complain when their channel gets taken down. Motherfucker, you, you didn't pay a dime for that channel. If YouTube says you're out, you're out. You don't have any right to complain about shit. It drives me nuts. And please, I don't want to defend Facebook because Instagram is ultimately a Facebook company now. Okay, I don't want to defend them, but this outrage is is mind-numbing. They have absolutely, Instagram has no obligation whatsoever to show your shit when you're not paying them anything for the advertisement. No obligation. And you're a moron for, you know, for being mad about it. And for people to get outraged about your outrage, they are spot on to do that because, I mean, it's just, it's stupid. And it it really highlights, it really, really highlights like just, just how cheap uh, and, and how little value, uh, you know, you really give to other people, honestly. And, and I mean, and it just, it just shows how shaky, you know, this is the other thing too. I've told people, look, you're crazy if you want to build your business off of some kind of third party. If your business relies on Facebook, you're nuts. If your business relies on Twitter, you're nuts. If your Facebook, if your business relies, or if your, your, your cash flow relies on Instagram, you're insane especially when you're not paying for ads on those platforms because this stuff can get, the rug can get pulled out right from under you. We've talked about that so many times on Cybertech and it just happened to all these Instagram users. I don't feel any sympathy for you. I really don't. This is what, you know, you get what you pay for. And that means you have no control. Got an energy spike. Launch. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launched. Return fire. Well, freeze freeze Watch Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Excellent Asian Sovereign. Welcome to Unimatrix Zero. Thanks, computer. So, Brian, looks like we have the whole place to ourselves. We do, actually. Did you have something in mind to do? Well, this is virtual reality. I thought maybe we could. Pixel, you look... I love VR. Come here, Brian. Climax, where I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Could be anything. But, you know, I just, I want to dovetail real quick on the last, we were talking about Instagram there. I mean, you know, with Sovereign Tech, with, with Zomi Offline Games, Audio of the Ancients, all that, I could run everything off of my website. I make sure I have a really solid website uh, that, that is my home base. 
I don't have any Facebook groups. I don't have any of that shit because I know, and I've warned for years that when you rely on this stuff, when you rely on these other companies, eventually the, sh- the rug can get pulled out from under you. So that's why I say I have no sympathy for these people. Uh, and, I, and I refuse to rely on these things. I mean, the only place that I even, like that I have a major, major uh, uh, interaction base, I guess you could say, is Twitter. Um, and even that, you know, I'm working on quitter.no and all that stuff. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I know this stuff is happening. And so I'm trying to make my own website to be like my base where I can interact with people. That's why I created the, the new IRC channel, uh, which is it's hashtag Sovnet, S O V N E T. Uh, and you can go there. So anyway, um, I was going to talk about I last week during the Q and a episode, there was the question about hedonism and how I got, you know, what was my, you know, could I describe hedonism? What, how did I travel? You know, how did I get to that ideology and all that? Uh, I will have to, I wanted to do that for this segment here, but I'm going to have to save that for another episode, maybe next week. Maybe we'll do, you know, well, I'll save next week as a surprise, but anyway, I'll do it soon. I will get to that question. I really appreciate the person asking about it. Um, what I want to talk about now is I want to do a review of something that I was kind of excited about really. Uh, and I had mentioned it uh, in previous weeks that it was coming. Uh, that was me Tomo. And it's, it's the first, really the first app, big time app from Nintendo, the first kind of original app. Uh, I think they released a Pokemon app at one point, but uh, this was like their first really original piece of work that, that came from a deal that we talked about about a year and a half ago, where they started working with a company called DNA. That's D-E-N-A, not just D-N-A, uh, but that's the, the name of the company's DNA. Um, now, Mitomo is this kind of quasi-social network, social, uh, you know, social media or social media network of sorts, uh, but it works in a very strange way. And what you do is, is you have these characters called Mies. Now, Mies were originally created for the Nintendo Wii console uh, about a decade ago, and you know, Wii as in you know multiple people, W I I, me as in you, the individual M I I, and you would create this character. It has a very unique look to it. Uh, you know, kind of a larger head and, and, a, and a, you know, kind of a basic body that allows for a lot of uh, easy interaction with various graphic styles, you know, that Nintendo would, you know, because like you could put your Miis into games and all this stuff. Uh, so anyway, so Tomo is for Android and iOS, and it allows you to create, if you haven't already with another Nintendo product like a Wii, Wii U, or 3DS, uh, it allows you to create a Mii. And then that me can kind of answer a bunch of questions. It's really, you know, I got to admit. So, I mean, I'll say right out of the gate, I love it. Okay. Uh, and Nintendo are, they are really, you know, I've said this before, all the, all the rhetoric that Apple spews out, Nintendo doesn't spew it out, but they actually deliver on it. As in being innovators, Nintendo is genu- they are genuinely innovators. Granted, this app, it's comparisons to another Nintendo uh, game called uh, uh, Tamagotchi uh, Life is, you know, it, it, they're very similar, okay? <laughs> um, but, you know, I love the app, but I love it for not for what it's meant to do. And that's, that's kind of been really what's been going on. Uh, it seems with the internet in general, how, how the internet, uh, you know, as a collective consciousness, <laughs> which it isn't, um, you know, has been thinking about it. But as far as what it is, it's really kind of boring. It has these little like slot machine mini games that honestly suck. Uh, all you can get out of them is something that you could normally buy out of like this clothing shop, uh, you know, but maybe you can get it for cheaper. Um, you, 
and and there is this clothing shop where you buy you can buy various types of clothes and you can change into those clothes you know and and it, like i said it asks you all these really banal like mundane questions and that's that's really all there is and like you can go visit people but when you just go to visit other people in other rooms or whatever it just you know, you don't really interact. It just asks you questions. Now, granted, some of those questions will be labeled as just between you and me, which those questions might get more personal in nature. Uh, but it really doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> like, like the app itself is, is kind of boring. But there's two interesting aspects of it. One of them is, is that the way what you can do to answer the questions, there's no censorship on this, which is shocking. Okay, it's absolutely shocking because Nintendo is known for censoring the shit out of everything which I hate, but, uh, and most people are annoyed by that by Nintendo, but I guess when Apple censors everything, including farting apps out of the iOS store, uh, then it's okay because, well, it's Apple, but when Nintendo does it, oh, terrible Nintendo, fuck them, right? That, that's, that's kind of the stupid narrative you get out there. Uh, but anyway, you know, it, it's really great. <laughs> the, the, like I can, my, my, when I answer questions, I can talk about orgies. I can talk about having sex, you know, all this stuff. Like, I mean, the sky's the limit. And that's the interesting thing is that with some of these questions and you have like a, a certain character limit, it's like maybe 200 characters, uh, but people will answer with like sometimes these very interesting social commentaries or very funny answers and all that. And obviously Nintendo is collecting all of this data. Like they are wanting to collect some degree of, uh, you know, behavioral data on you. Uh, by having it. Um, the, the second thing that's really interesting about it, now I am going to use the shit out of this feature, okay? Is with your me, like I said, you can change its clothing and all this stuff, but with your me, there's a me, there's a, a part of it called me photo, okay? And in me photo, you can set up and you can use your own pictures too. You can, you can create like this entire, uh, you know, little photo or meme or whatever with with this me of yours that, you know, that can look just like you or close enough to you, a digital representation of you. And this is nuts. <laughs> I mean, I've made some pretty crazy shit and really I'm waiting for, like, I don't understand because you have freedom to, I mean, like you can make shots, you know, where you're stooping people. I mean, you can do all with, with these me's. I mean, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm amazed. Like, I don't know when Nintendo's going to have some kind of policy come out because you can say anything, you can create pictures with anything, and you can share those pictures with people. And you can share them on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and wherever. You can save it to your device. Like, I'm going to use these me photos for show art for this show. <laughs> Hell, I could make whole comic books with me photo. I mean, it's really, and it's, it's such an impressive part of the app. The games, all that other stuff, none of that shit matters. Even the questions are bullshit. The me photo, I think that's the that's the real winner here. That's what makes it so interesting. So that's what I'm really, you know, what I'm really loving about it. Now, I imagine in the future, two things. One is, is that, you know, you have coins, gold coins that you collect, which, how is that shocking for a Nintendo app? But you have these gold coins that you can collect so that you can buy things in the, in the store, in the, in the, the me shop. Uh, you know, right now it's mainly clothing. Um but they also offer these platinum points for engaging in missions. And these missions are, oh, you know, make five comments on somebody else's answer or something like that. Uh, you know, really, really basic. But with these platinum points, you supposedly will be able to, well, you already can with a Nintendo, not Nintendo Club. They're calling it My Nintendo. It used to be Club Nintendo. But you can buy things. You can get discounts on other actual games that have nothing to do with uh, Mitomo or anything like that. Uh, so there, there's a good bet that down the line, there will be ga better games within this, 
perhaps more interaction. Maybe they'll turn it into like a version of The Sims. It'll just be with these little me's, you know, going around. And that's where it could get interesting. So I see a lot of potential for the app, uh, but they really need to do that. And the other thing they need to fix, and obviously they knew this was going to be a problem from the get-go, uh, this thing drains your battery like there's no tomorrow. And I mean, if you run it for more than a couple hours, like if you run it straight, uh, there is no tomorrow <laughs> for your phone. Uh, it's so bad. Um, in fact, in the settings for it, there is a, um, there, there is a, a power saving mode. So they knew that this was going to be a problem, that it was going to drain the battery. And it is a genuine issue. Uh, so, but if you use it for like the me photo and all that other stuff, it's just kind of fun. I put in the, the, the episode art for episode 170 of Sovereign Tech is actually the QR code to friend me on Mitomo. So if you want to, go for it. There's a chance a ton of people will stop using this after a couple days. But I think as they add on features, uh, it'll, you know, I think a lot more people will use it. And I can really see where they're going with this. So... Good on Nintendo. Good for the no censorship whatsoever. That's tons of fun. <laughs> anyway, uh, please donate to the show if you love it. And, and don't hesitate. Wishlist.cog.ninja if you want to donate equipment uh, uh, to the show. Thank you so much for that. Carpe Lucem, everybody. Woo! I'll see you on the other side. We've got a great episode next week. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.